0: Hi, I'm Malcolm Hawker, and this is the CDO Matters Podcast, the show where I dig deep into the strategic insights, best practices, and practical recommendations that modern data leaders need to help their organizations become truly data-driven. Tune in for thought-provoking discussions with data, IT, and business leaders to learn about the CDO Matters that are top of mind for today's Chief Data Officers. Good morning, afternoon or evening. I am Malcolm Hawker, head of data strategy with Prophecy Software and host of the CDO Matters podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining. Thank you for watching wherever you may be consuming the content, Apple, Google, Spotify or on YouTube or wherever, even the prophecy.com website. Thank you for, uh, for listening in. Today I am joined by my friend and I can say that because I've known you long enough to qualify as a friend. I think I think Uh, so. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to be the only one who considers. <laughs> no, you're not my best friend. You're not my best friend. Um, um, but but anyway, Dan Hammer. Dan, it, it's great to see you. Dan is the owner of Insightful Research. Yes, that is the name yes, of your company. Insightful yeah? Research. Yes. Insightful Research um i've known dan for i think better almost four years because i i was trying to think the other day of when i met you and it was more than likely we at least met on email if not face to face uh in late 2019 when i had joined gartner and you were at informatica yes and i came we came
1: down to uh
0: austin and we went out to dinner. Yes, this this that's true. So so, Informatica has a uh, had actually had just opened a new office in Austin, in North Austin, uh, and I do recall that it was like unseasonably cold when when we met. I, so I think it, it may have actually been right around this time of year. Yeah, and uh, and you know, I was getting to know the space, getting to know the people, um, and and you were at Informatica, and that's when I first would have met, mm-hmm. and then we interacted for. The entire, most of the, my entirety of almost three years at Gartner. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there was a time where you weren't involved with MDM at Gartner, right? No. When you were in informatics.
1: Yeah. No, I was, I was there. I was talking to yeah. MDM, data governance. I think, what you know, your, that was one was of the things where we really connected was sort of like, you know, data governance and MDM is like, you know, chocolate and peanut butter or peanut butter and jelly or whatever analogy you want to use, right? You, you need both. So
0: Peas and carrots. Yeah,
1: peas and carrots. (laughs) I'm not a vegetable guy. You can tell. (laughs) Chocolate and peanut butter, (laughs) peanut butter
0: and jelly. Peas and carrots. (laughs) Yeah. What, what was, what was your, what was, technically, what was your role at It Was it, was like, is product marketing, right? Yes. I was, I was head
1: of product marketing. So started out, I had data governance, data privacy and MDM. And then, uh, uh, towards the end there was just focused on MDM because it's just such a large part of the, business and so core to, I mean, really data management, right? You're, those are your core business entities, yeah. you know, and those aren't those aren't right. Your proce- processes don't work and your analytics are wrong and <laughs> all the things that we talk about all the time.
0: Yeah. D- day in, day out, increasingly so much so uh, on LinkedIn. Um, I was looking at your history and I don't know if I knew this at the time, but you were at SAP for 10 years. Yes. So was that, was, were you, were you in the, in the Bay Area the entire time? Cause you, you, you know, as a resident of the Bay Area, yeah. um, were, were you, were you, is, is that where you were working for SAP? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In Palo Alto. Okay. What did you do for them? Uh, so,
1: uh, started out, I was doing product marketing for, um, small, mid-sized business solutions, but more focused on, um, analytics and data management. And then went to the enterprise information management team where I did data governance and MDM and CDO,
0: all of
2: those things. so.
0: So, so to make a long story short, Dan, Dan has a, a accomplished career in the data management space from, from a software perspective and. Some of the things that I I, I valued the most was was at least from the perspective of being at Gartner when you were at Informatica, I I always kind of viewed you as a voice of reason, not to say that people aren't reasonable, Mm -hmm. um, but but I always kind of viewed you as the voice of reason. And in in our conversations, if I was being critical, you would kind of acknowledge, yeah, that may be somewhere where we could improve or not improve. But I really I, I really in my in my time at Gartner I had a wonderful time and I got to meet a lot of people but my relationship with you was one that always kind of stood out because I always every time I got off the phone with you I was like okay that, that guy's just so reasonable he's like he just sees both sides of the equation and the things that he talks about make complete sense and and he's rational and his arguments are well for, uh, formed so well, there you, thank go, you. Yeah, that's, that's that's I that's appreciate nice. that that's
2: I nice always said. try
1: you know um a long time ago I'm I'm old so <laughs> a long time club, ago brother. Yeah, I, I read, uh, uh, Stephen Covey's, you know, seven habits of highly effective people. And one of them was, you know, seek first to understand and then be understood. So I've always carried that with me for a long time. Like, and that doesn't mean I have to agree with somebody, right? But really trying to listen to their point of view and like, why do they, why do they have that point of view? You know, what's their, what's their facts? What are their assumptions? What's their logic behind it? Um, so that you can actually have a dialogue, right? I I think that's, okay, we're gonna go on big topics here now, but I think that's That's one of the issue in our our society right now is that we're so polarized around points of view that we, we can't even listen to the other side, right? To try and understand why do they hold that point of view, right? It's just like, you hold that point of view and you're wrong, my, mine is right and you should come over to my side as opposed to, you know, it used to be we would have conversations about things, right? And then we could, if we understand where the other people are coming from, we can try and move, you know, to some sort of like, yeah, this will work for everybody versus it's my way or the
0: highway. I, 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 I love it because, you know, I, I've had to learn. <laughs> How to host a podcast, I, I think for anybody who's listening to me or listening to more than one episode, they're like, Yeah, no kidding. Uh, it comes <laughs> to a long way to go. Uh, um, uh, but I mean, I your words kind of struck me not not because there's there, there's there's broader societal issues at play here, and there most certainly are broader societal issues at play here that, that I think we need to be talking more about. Mm-hmm. I was born and raised in Canada, I spent my first 25 years in Canada, and I've spent the last 20 plus that's all real gray hair there people um in in this country and meaning the united states and i had to kind of adjust to things here and one of the 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 things that was the most jarring Mm -hmm. maybe for lack of a better word was the kind of the, the 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 kind of the binary nature of the left and the right the the conservative you know liberal, red, blue, with me, against me, like this, this kind of this notion that you're either on the left or you're on the right, you're one right. or the two, or you're, 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 you're this or you're that. Cause I was born and raised in, in, at least under a political, you know, kind of world where there's multiple parties, there's multiple points of view, there's multiple perspectives. There isn't just two. There's, there's, right. there's, there's any one given perspective has multiple points of view and so there's that and then then the other thing that that was normal for me growing up was you know like you you had a conversation about big lofty issues right, right. like maybe politics or the state of the economy or, or, right. or whatever you'd have those conversations at dinner it'd be right. normal right. you'd have them at family conversations you'd have them at like thanksgiving dinner and you could walk away and and have a heck of an argument but you you didn't want to you know, you you didn't think less of the person, right? right. You're you still my family think. afterwards. <laughs> but but that, I'm not going to disown you. <laughs> well, 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 yeah. <laughs> that may happen for different reasons. I don't, I don't know, but, but, yeah, I mean, I, I found that to be different. But so when I get a chance to talk to people like you, may, maybe that's what it was, and maybe that's what it is, and maybe that's what I kind of saw was was that there was some sort of chemical reaction in me saying, OK, well, th- this guy this guy is reasonable and, and he, he seeks to listen before speaking. Not because I wanted to bully the conversation, but I think that in and of itself is mm-hmm. is worthwhile, like like the idea of listening so you so you can hear versus listening so you can respond. Right, because that's
1: that's the way the brain works. Right. A lot of times, like ah. if you if you watch your mind, the the story your mind tells, right? like somebody says something and then you're thinking about you start thinking about oh I want to respond to that and so the brain can only hold like maybe 5 to 7 concepts the the prefrontal co- cortex the conscious thinking part um so you you hold on to that thing that you want to say but then you miss everything else that the person is saying <laughs> right because you what? want to respond <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Sorry, exactly. what?
0: <laughs> I mean, well, it's not, it's not even I'm it's kidding. not
1: even what it's. Well, when you said blah blah blah, yeah. you're you're wrong because X Y Z. So,
0: so this brings us to to, to <laughs> I mean, I guess the, the the nexus, not the nexus or or whatever. Like, um, in your in your post informatica, uh, what's what's the world? What's the way to describe it? In in your Renaissance, perhaps. In oh, in, Denver, like like in, your, rena- in yeah. your renaissance, I've, I've been telling
1: people I'm semi-retired. My wife doesn't like that, but oh, oh, okay, I'm
0: semi-retirement. But I like rena- renaissance. Renaissance is good. Yeah. Dan too, right? Yeah. Okay, in in your renaissance, let's go with that. Um, a, a part of some of the things that you're focusing on, you, your your tagline on on, on LinkedIn is the techno optimist, which I really mm-hmm. enjoy. Um, but some of the things that you've been obviously doing research on and spending a lot of time thinking about in your renaissance uh are kind of a little different than than what we usually do day in and day out in the the data world you did you gave a presentation at the cdoiq conference at uh in boston earlier this summer that i attended i was the guy in the background doing the like doing the wave (laughs) um um but where you kind of talked about some of these things like you know uh resistance to change and how Mm -hmm. the brain processes thought so i want to hear more about that but what Drove you that direction. So you're, you're, you know, like a senior leader in a product marketing function, talking about positioning and pricing and branding and creating narratives around data management and data management software. What, what drove that fork in the road?
1: Yeah. So that fork in the road, uh, came when I found out that my son, uh, my oldest son had autism. So then that, that started a Work of like trying to understand how the brain works <clears throat> how processes information um it, and that's what that's what started that work that uh, would be 27
2: 27 years ago so a long time um but it was really a few years you know the um uh Randy Bean and, and New
1: Vantage Partners, you know, they've been doing their survey for I think it's eight years now.
2: Yep. And uh I don't know, maybe four five years ago, a few years ago, right? It, like the number
1: one challenge is people and behavior and culture. Right. And throughout the eight years that they've been doing it, that's been the number one challenge. Right. Right. Yep. Like by at least 80%. This year it went down a little bit because everybody's concerned about technology and LLMs and what do we do with generative AI. But, but like it's still like, I think in this year's, that's the technology part is 20% and, and people and behavior is still 80%, right? So like four times a bigger problem, right? But then you go and look at people's data strategy and like, I don't know, 1%. <laughs> maybe of the data strategy is around people and, and it's really mostly about like, how do we set up some processes and how do we train people? But it's nothing about like, what what are the real reasons why people aren't changing, right? There's because there's a psychology of change management. And that's really what I've been talking about is the psychology of change management. And I've been trying to think of some really,
0: you know, good, catchy phrase to call it, you know, like brain literacy. <laughs> You're a product marketer, man. This is this is your but, thing. I, I know,
1: but like, you know, we've had this conversation before about data literacy. Like, you don't need data literacy. You need business literacy. You don't need a data strategy. You need a business strategy, right? So, yeah. you know, adding one more thing, <laughs> you need to know
0: brain literacy. Well, but, but brain matters. You, yeah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> but bra- but 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 branding but, does matter right, but branding does matter
1: yeah. but but you know i'm a I'm a simple guy, and I like to use simple words, and really, it's about the psychology of change management.
0: and so 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 the so so the fork yeah on on the one hand, going back almost twenty seven years yeah. you you've got this side hustle for that's a horrible way of describing it, but you've got this other passion of trying to figure out how things are working in your son's brain. Mm -hmm. And, and so you got that. And then you got your day job of data management, data strategy, data culture, all of those other things. And so that's when things kind of came together post informatica dance renaissance. Hey, let's put these things together. I think I've got something to share.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: I mean, it, it sort of came together before that, but you know, I mean, you know how it is when you're, Working a full time job at a software company. <laughs> there is no free time, right? So, you know, the, the, those things were there, but, you know, now it's, I've got the opportunity to sort of crystallize them more and, you know, write, write about them and, uh, and those sorts of things. And I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And, you know, people seem to be receptive to it when I did it at Enterprise Data World uh, earlier this year. I, I got the feedback from it and, you know, it was like 4.8. And I think the average session was 4.5. So I feel good about that.
0: Good for you. I didn't yeah. get any feedback from that session. So there you go. <laughs>
1: That's because MDM saying. is dead. Long live MDM.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. We we can return to that because actually I think I, I like that topic, But by, by the way, because there's something about maybe about the psychology of, Killing things, mm-hmm. maybe I don't know. Right. We seem to really want to kill MDM. I don't know why. Uh, but but getting back to the psychology of change, For sure. Um, your, your your presentation put the psychology of change through the lens of kind of data culture or or, right. or culture, yeah. yeah. Um, because I, I think it's it's true to say that most data leaders would say they need to change the culture,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and to do that, I think what you would say is you need to change the people, quite obviously. Right, But what is it that makes us not want to change? Why don't, why don't we, why don't we, why do we dislike change or why is change so hard? Right,
1: right. so there are, there are two separate information processing systems in the brain. So one is the prefrontal cortex, which is this very thin layer right on the front of your, you know, brain. So don't headbutt people. Um, but and, and so that's the sort of the logical evaluating part of the brain, right? Where we take facts and we look at them and we analyze them and we make decisions. And there's another part called the limbic system and its sole purpose is survival. So within the limbic system, there's an area called the um, amygdala. So the amygdala is like this little machine learning algorithm and its whole job is to resolve Uncertainty as quickly as possible if something is a threat or not. And it uses generalization, assumption, and approximation to just decide if something is a threat, right? So I'm at the watering hole, orange stripes, tiger flee. It may or may not be a tiger, right? But from a survival perspective, I don't want to go, well, does it have fur? Does it have tail? Oh, look, it has, it has fangs and claws. Oh, I'm lunch, right? So resolving uncertainty as quickly as possible,
2: is its whole job. So the brain hates uncertainty, right? And any kind of change is uncertainty. Change by default, we, we don't know,
1: right? And, and brain science, there's been a lot in the last 15 years, a lot of research around this.
2: Um, an unknown outcome is more stressful than a known bad outcome. So this and, is the rip the band-aid off. Right. Right. And, and, and it's so
1: pervasive and it operates on a different, it has its own set of neural pathways. So it's like its own separate system. Right. So it happens and you don't even realize that it's happening. So if somebody cuts you off in a car, you slam on the brakes. Right. And, and you're not going, well, how fast am I going? How far is he from me? Right. You just automatically slam on the brakes and then you don't even think about it, right? You don't think about like, oh, well, how did I just do that? It just happened, right? And then you you move on and you're really not consciously aware of how the amygdala is making decisions for you.
2: So So yeah. but as a leader,
0: yeah, can I override that? Do how do I reprogram that or how do how do I at the very least mitigate that right. so I'm I'm hired as a change agent. Right. right? And and I'm supposed to be driving change. Mm-hmm. And I have a bunch of people whose whose fight or flight responses mm-hmm. have been triggered because right. there's here's the new person who's brought in. That in and of itself, a new right. new leader, right? Could be, oh, yep. whoa, was well, my job gonna be okay? Everything gonna be okay, it, exactly. right? Like so right. already you may be in a semi triggered state, as it were, for lack of a better word. Right. And I'm that new data leader. What, how do I work around that? How do I mitigate that?
2: Yeah. So, excuse me. Um, the,
1: there tends to be, so there's been some research that shows that the, the amygdala, it's, it responds to social threats. And those social threats tend to be, uh, around status. You know, you know, I'm going to lose my title, right? I'm going to lose my title autonomy, right? Like I'm not going to have control in how I do things, right? Relationships, you know, we're, we're splitting up teams and you're going into a new team. Well, I just, I I got all these relationships, um, with people and then fairness, right? Like, is the process fair? Um, so those tend to be like big buckets where people get triggered, and so and we respond we respond to all of those we get triggered by all of those but some of them are more intense of a response for people than others like for me relationships are a big trigger Mm -hmm. um so like when my wife and i get in a fight like i want to go fix it and for my wife autonomy is a big trigger so when i go to want to go fix it she she feels like i'm impinging on her autonomy (laughs) She's like so it makes for a very interesting dynamic um but if you understand that like those tend to be the the big buckets of triggers right then you can think about okay if i'm going to go have a conversation we're moving to a data products approach right and i'm going to go have a conversation with malcolm who's been building reports for his boss right well maybe there's probably a sense of status around that, right? Because the boss relies on you to build the reports, right? So instead of going Mm -hmm. and like, hey, I, I got this great news for you, you don't have to build those reports anymore, right? Which would probably trigger a threat response. It's like, you know, first validate their status. Like, hey, you've done a great job building those reports for your boss. Your organization is a top performer because of it. We're moving to this new data products approach. We'd like to take all the things that you've been doing right and and provide more value with data and analytics to more people right so it's a different conversation now that doesn't mean somebody won't get triggered right but if you're thinking about how might this be perceived as a threat to somebody's status or their autonomy right or their
2: um, relationships or, or fairness right then that's how you start to mitigate some of, these, some of these threats.
0: Well, I think you just described why the data mesh may be successful. You just appeal to people's autonomy and you, and you appeal to their sense of, 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 of fairness and status. You get to build your own reports, however you wanna do it, knock, your, knock yourself out. You define what's fair, you define the governance policies and you, know, you, 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 you now get to kind of wear that, that anyway. Um, we're gonna go. We're gonna go. Wild, wild west. <laughs> no, 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 no. Wild, we, we, wild we, west.
1: The we, data match. <laughs> we, <laughs> Malcolm, Malcolm West, and what was it? Jim West, and what was the other guy? <laughs> Artemis
0: Gordon, and and, and Dan um, Gordon. We're, we're we're dating ourselves here. Uh, yeah, no, no. But... Will Smith did a remake. People will know that. Oh, one. okay, okay. That's true. Will Smith did, did do a remake of the Wild West. That's that's correct. Um, let's let's assume that I am triggered mm-hmm. and my amygdala has gone berserk and I'm, I'm freaked out mm-hmm. and um, I'm, I'm kind of in this some sort of state of fight or flight. Yeah. Basically every time I log in or go through the front door, what, what is, what does that mean? Does that, does that make me like, am, am I there? They're going to, am I unreceptive? Am I, yeah. am I mutinous? <laughs> like wh- what am I going to do? Like, am I going to like,
1: be it could be a broad range of things, right? It could be simply you're not engaged, mm. right? It could be you're passively resistant, like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. But then when nobody's looking, I'm <laughs> gonna do whatever the f I want, right? Um, or, or it could be actively like trying to sabotage, right? Like recruiting other people to join them and say, "Hey, <laughs> this is this is unfair." Um, you know, and so, like, so that I just saw this Gallup poll and they were saying that oh, I want to say it was like 65, 70% of employees are, are disengaged with work. And that disengagement equates to like eight or nine trillion dollars, which is like nine percent of global GDP. So, it's a big issue.
0: So this is, this, I mean, this is kind of like the quiet quitting thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is like, like the quiet quitting thing, right? Like I'm just going to do the absolute positive bare minimum and fly under the radar and do whatever I need to do. Hopefully I don't get fired. Um,
2: so let's, let's assume,
0: hmm. so as, as a CDO, mm-hmm. I've been hired as a change agent. Sometimes right. CDOs are hired as operators, right? It's right. just put, put the shovel in the ground and build the reports, right? Sometimes right. that's true. But moreover, these days, you you were expected to be a change agent. Yeah. And sounds to me like what you're saying is that as a part of the definition of a data strategy, or it's certainly the operationalizing of a data strategy, mm-hmm. the operating model, the implementation of. These three things that you talked about, right—the the sense of status and, and fairness and equity—would would need to be deeply interwoven into how you actually implement. What 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 does that from a tactical perspective? What does that equal? Does that equal things like you know a lot of town hall meetings? Does that does that equal like you know regular newsletters? Like what what like grass tax tactically? What, what 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 form would these things take? As, as a part of the implementation of anything a CDO would be doing?
1: So it's, it's a lot around the, the communication
2: mm. process. Um, so one of the, one of the triggers is, is fairness. Now in every organization, there are
1: people that are, they don't have, Formal authority, but they're the people that the peers look up to hmm. and reference, right?
2: To say, "Hey, I'm just <laughs> keep."
0: Sorry, this, is that my dog <laughs> or your dog? No, that's it's my dog. dog. Oh, was it? my dog. Yeah. Oh, it could be in mine. I've got two of them. It sounds just like yeah. that. Okay. Yes. So the dog doesn't <laughs> think it's fair. Where's my treat? Right. No, but. So in every
1: organization, right, there are people that are, they are not informal authority, but they're the people that peers look up to in reference to like, hey, is this fair or not?
0: Influencers like, as it were. Right,
1: you're influencers, right. So you want to go find those people and you want to recruit them onto your side because they will help bring their peer group along, right? So that's
2: that's one strategy. In terms of um autonomy, you know, Asking people for input, you know, beforehand and, and really taking it into
1: consideration is helpful because people feel like they have some ownership or skin in the game, right? If, if their input is taken out, you know, you don't want to do that if you know that, you know, Bain has already come in and done this big assessment and the CEO is in there in the town hall meeting, right? Telling us how we're going to roll this all out. And does anybody have any input? And everybody's going. (laughs) Yeah, right. You know, people, people know, like, if you're just BSing them, so you, you clearly don't want to do that, but if you can give them the opportunity to provide some input, right. that That's definitely going to help. Right. And when Bain and those big guys come in, you know, either people don't feel comfortable in really saying what they think, right. Or by the time all the input gets rolled up, things get lost. Right. So people, you know, On the street, you know, the feet on the street, they have some great ideas on how to, how to change things. Um, but if you, but if you can't do that, can you give them freedom within a bounded context? Right. Right. So like, you know, here's, here's your context, right? And here's the resources that you have. Here's the people that you have. Here's the things you can't do. You can't do these things, but outside of that, you can use those people and the resources any way that you want to get the outcome that we're looking for, right? And then people, again, right? Like, I have ownership. I have some ownership and some say, right? Yes, we're st- we're still making a change, right? And it's still having an impact, Um, but can you give them some freedom in how they go and execute?
2: So that's another strategy. Love it.
0: The one thing I would add, and this is kind of inferred with what you just said, Um, but I want to be overt about it, which is what the the subtext of what I just heard you say is that authenticity and sincerity from the leadership perspective has to be a part of the equation here, right? Like like engaging people for their input, that can't be just a checkbox, that actually has to be sincere. You have to be authentic about that and you have to take the feedback. To the degree that that you have you have you are within your boundaries to do so, right? right? Quite obviously, right. you're not going to solicit. You may get feedback on your overall business strategy, but maybe you, you you're unable to to influence that because maybe it's mm-hmm. coming directly from your board. Right. So, to the degree to, for whatever scope you have, right, that needs to be that that enterprise needs to be authentic because people will see through that pretty quickly if it's just right. a checkbox, right? Like. You know, like I'm just here to give you ideas and I know darn well that they're not going to get implemented and they're right. not, you're not really been hearing me. I'm just here to check a box. Right. So, sounds like that's an important piece yeah. of the equation here is to be authentic yeah. and be sincere about that enterprise. Abs-
1: absolutely. Right. I mean, that's what builds trust. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Simon Sinek, you know, he's got this thing uh, yeah. with the with the military, right, of like, would you take the the person that is the most skilled and proficient Right, but but you don't trust him, versus the guy that's good enough. But I know, in a fight, he's got my back. I'm gonna take the guy that's got my back
2: every single time. Right? Yeah. I don't care how good that guy is, if he's not watching my back. No. Love it. So
0: let's let's go broader on on culture, because I th- I think we've I've got we I think we've got some real challenges, and I'd I'd love your input. In a lot of the conversations I've had around culture, particularly when I was at Gartner, this, this is a common topic, by the way. Right. You know, I need to change the culture. Right. I need to change the culture. This is a CDO, VP data analytics, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I, I need to change the culture. Um, and I am, and I'm feeling kind of, for lack of a better word, um, hamstrung by it, or maybe a victim to it, or, or I, I heard over and over again. The, the idea that culture was something outside the data team, that it was it was culture was out there and I need and then I needed to change it. But what I saw, so I saw that Okay. and then what I also saw were behaviors within the data team that were completely contrary to the culture that the data leaders said that they wanted to promote. Mm-hmm. I'll give I'll, I'll, I'll give you an, a, an example. Um, being data driven, mm-hmm. we we could have an interesting academic dis- discussion about what that actually means and is it too pithy and is it, it okay, whatever, it doesn't matter. But I think we can all generally agree that the idea here is that you use data to make decisions, right? right. That, that you are making fact-based decisions, right. not intu- intuition driven mm-hmm. decision, right? Like I think that's kind of high level... What, what most people would kind of say, yeah, that, that makes sense. That's really kind of what we're trying to get to here is it's not gut, it's not intuition, it's, right. it's data, it's facts that we're using right. to make decisions about whatever. So you'd have a data leader brought on as a change agent and saying, I need to change the, the culture. Mm-hmm. But then what I would see within data non analytics groups is not doing the same. Meaning you would ask, how much revenue is this change in your data function going to drive the organization? I don't know. How do you prioritize? Basically it's whoever screams the loudest, right? Or it's whatever they tell me to do. It doesn't have anything to do with revenue. It doesn't have anything to do with cost savings, mm-hmm. right? How, how do you, how do you make decisions about what data is more important than others? Well, we, we don't, we, we, or, or we just follow gut or intuition. So what I saw was data leaders saying, do this. You right. need you out there need to be data driven, but here, we're going to use intuition to prioritize. We're going to use gut to prioritize. We're not really going to. We're not even going to try to quantify the business value of the of the data or the solutions that we implement because that's really too hard. It's or it's impossible. I hear that all the time. So I I would see the situation where it's do what we say but don't do what we do. Mm-hmm. If that's true, Dan, through the research you've been doing, what would the ne- negative
2: ramifications of that be? Well.
0: Well, first of all, do you do do you agree with the assertion? And and I said it in such a rhetorical way, you probably it would be difficult to disagree. But like, what, what's your what's your what's your overall response? Now, now you can just respond. You don't even have to think. You can just okay, respond.
1: yeah. So my <laughs> my overall response is okay. If we if we think about culture, like let's let's try and. Narrow in on what culture is a little bit, right? So if, think good, about, okay,
0: good, good think, approach.
1: Yeah. Let's, let's think about some big buckets of, of things that influence culture. So one of them is beliefs, right? So from a, from an organizational perspective, right? That could be, you know, your vision, your mission statement, your values, right? I'd say that probably all organizations have those either implicitly or explicitly. Another, influences organization so roles responsibilities processes um, how we communicate with each other so what language do we use so language of business language of it what channels do we use to communicate what's the structure of it can i do i have to go up the hierarchy chain of command or can you know is it more of a matrix type of communication and then Customs, you know, and and again, right, if I'm trying to think about that in terms of a business, your policies, your procedures, your ethics, right? I would say that most organizations have all of those things in place, either implicitly or explicitly. Right. Agreed. Right. And yet we still say we don't have the culture that we want because at the end of the day, culture is actually the collective behavior of individuals that's what that's what culture is right it's how do people behave as individuals right and then collectively right those individuals within an organization that forms the culture so we can put all of those things into place to influence culture but at the end of the day we still have to go back and understand Why aren't people adjusting to our new processes, right? Why aren't people adhering to our ethics and values,
2: right? What's what's preventing them, what's preventing their behavior from changing? It all
1: goes back to how the the brain interprets threats. If we address how the brain interprets threats, then we're going to we're going to move towards the
2: culture that we want. Now I I see you're thinking about this. I'll give you a minute to think about this and and then I'll, I have another.
0: (laughs) My theory, no, but my theory based on the previous rants is that or my, my little mini rant, my, my theory is, is that people will be less likely. And maybe this is about leadership more than culture. I, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But my theory is that people will be far less likely to follow you if they think you talk out of two sides of your mouth. Right? If they. if, oh, they, if they, yes, if,
1: absolutely. If, if you hear, yeah, if you that's say. A trust,
0: that's a trust issue,
1: right? Right. If you say one thing and then tomorrow you say something that's completely opposite
0: or you say that data matters and that we want to use data to make right. you know facts to make decisions right. but then you don't use facts to make right. decisions that, that to me that's an integrity issue but if 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 i do believe that culture in many ways or maybe lack maybe i'm not using the right word but if you have a leader that has those behaviors and is modeling mm-hmm. those behaviors you will have right. a team that models those behaviors sure. and and at some point you will have a culture that no longer serves its purpose Right. Okay.
2: Whatever, whatever, whatever leader's model is what employees use as the basis for appropriate behavior. Yeah. And then
1: the collective behavior of all those individuals creates your culture.
2: Okay.
0: Okay. I'll give you another, I'll give you something else that I think is, is a little problematic. So can I go
2: Go ahead, follow up on one other thing?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
2: that the amygdala creates these threat responses
1: right which i talked about but also because its whole job is to resolve uncertainty as quickly as possible we get bias in decision making so for example Mm. i'm not going to use data right because my experience tells me i should do this right and part Mm -hmm. of that is because I'm trying to resolve the uncertainty as quickly as possible. Which is a natural response. Which is a natural response, right? Which is what the amygdala wants to do. I want to resolve the uncertainty about this as quickly as possible. Well, I've got tons of experience and I've already done this and we should do this, right? Now that experience is valuable and I'm not saying that it's not, but you have to take time to step back and say, okay, what facts do we actually have Right? What data? What facts do we have? Right? What assumptions are we making? Right? Because I I am making assumptions when I when I'm right. So this goes back to my post and my Fab Ass, <laughs> my Fab Ass model of uh, of uh, getting cognitive bias out of your decision making. Um, right? How are we? How are, are you we- sure you're
0: in product marketing? Just just want to be sure. You you, you just kidding. <laughs> Well I tried bad to come ass. up with an ac- I tried to come up with an acronym that was badass. My badass. Oh, okay, 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 okay. But, okay. but I
1: had to go I had to go with like what was the bad actual ass- things, right? Facts, bad assumptions, bad. biases. Okay. Okay. So that's the, but I mean you get my point, right? Yes. That that the amygdala is also the source of, of all bias in humans, right? Cognitive, but all kinds, it's the source and everything else gets layered on top of that. So that gets pulled into our decision making, either experience bias or, um, uh, safety bias, right? We, we don't, you know, well, okay, I know, you know, it used to be the old saying, I know if I go with IBM, I'm not going to get fired, right? You know, kind of thing, right? Whether the facts are that was the best solution or not, right? So, that's where that's where it also gets played out in the i'm not using data to actually make decisions and how do we go back or how do we step back right and say you know what what are the facts what assumptions are we making here what are there facts that we're missing how are we what biases do we have right for example i have a bias towards a particular outcome right when we're making a decision so then i'm going to take all the facts that I have, and I'm going to create a story and a narrative that support the biased outcome that I want, right? And so we need to look at all of those things and how we're making decisions, right? If we actually want to be more data-driven,
2: fact-driven in our decision-making. So that, so that sounds like a, a, you know, awareness,
0: right? Yes. Self-awareness right it all the, starts the, with
2: awareness yes
0: yeah the that you you as a data leader if if you are on the verge of making a decision based on intuition when you don't necessarily have to, ask yourself why if the question is is because if I don't answer this question in the next fifteen minutes, I'm going to lose my status or i'm I'm going to lose relationships or whatever right like mm-hmm. I, the, the the these things will be you know um overwhelm me. Right. Or, or produce, or produce undesirable outcomes or whatever it is that you need to kind of take a step back, maybe, maybe take a few deep breaths and ask yourself, okay, is this, is this really the best path forward here? Mm-hmm. Which sounds kind of reasonable across the board. Um, ba-
1: that gets back to the very beginning. I'm a reasonable guy.
0: <laughs> See? And we have come for a circle. The circle of life is complete. Um, kumbaya. <laughs> I was, I was, it's it just, I'm, I am fascinated by the, the issue of culture because I just see behaviors that we need to s- desperately stop. Mm-hmm. And I think it, we, I think we just touched on something, uh, awareness. Yeah. Um, ov- obviously key, but I think that there are some things in our world that are just so deeply ingrained that we almost take as normal, as acceptable, and, and we don't even question them when we should question them. I'll give you an example. Uh, imagine, and I'm, and I'm going to use rhetoric here and, and a story because who doesn't like stories? Um, you know, it, 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 imagine if you worked at Frito-Lay and you were in the Doritos division and you were in the business of making chips, like you made, you made chips, corn chips. And if you were sitting at the, you know, the monthly board meeting or your executive meeting or your KPI review or your MBO review, whatever it is. And you didn't hit your chip output number for the month or, or your, your, your Yelp reviews about your chips were down or whatever it is. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Nobody likes the chips. And your answer to the board was,
2: well, our corn sucks. It's garbage. Our corn is
0: garbage. Like imagine if you use that answer. Mm-hmm. We do that every day in the data world. We, we talk, we talk about our inputs as garbage. We, we literally use that word, garbage over and over and over and over and over to the point where it's, it's part of the lexicon. It's mm-hmm. a normal, acceptable part of the lexicon. And and that's, that's an example, that's an example where it's like, well, wait a minute, hold on. You know, look at any other business, any other line of business, any other business that is, that is involved in making or manufacturing or refining things where they don't have control over their raw inputs. Mm-hmm. And they have to do, they have to do their best with, with their raw inputs. Find one that considers those raw inputs garbage and constantly complains about them and says that I'm basically powerless to stop them. And it's them. It's not me. I like got to me, that 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 will that has to have some sort of input on our culture, but we don't even talk about it. We just we we just accept that there is this idea of garbage, and that it's somebody else's problem.
2: Yeah, I, maybe maybe <laughs> it's rhetorical,
0: do. and that's okay. No, and, and maybe no, I maybe mean, just
2: we, I, we we do. You don't um, have to agree, by the way. No, I well lots of people, right, garbage in garbage out. Like that's part of the lexicon, right? It's- I think I think part of the okay, so I'm going to take a step back and um part of the reason that some of these things happen is because the brain is lazy. Mm-hmm. So 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 the brain is about 2% of the body mass, but uses 20% of the energy.
1: And the prefrontal cortex, which is the rational thinking part, is, is very resource intensive. And so the brain likes to create shortcuts, right? Like, oh, based on my experience, we do this so that it preserves energy. And so a lot of these things that we do are a function of, I call it laziness. It's, it's really resource, um. Optimization? Well, it's not even optimization. So it's re, it's, it's keeping resources in reserve in case I need to fire flight.
2: Oh, okay.
1: Okay. Because, because survival overtakes everything else. So when the amygdala feels threatened, right? Like there's a survival issue, it actually pulls resources away from the prefrontal cortex, which is why you can't have rational a rational thought goes out the window. You can't have a rational conversation with anybody. And then right. it dumps cortisol and adrenaline, right? In preparation for the fight or flight. So the, so the brain is, is constantly looking for shortcuts. And so a lot of these things I think that happen that, that I think you're alluding to. Are a function of that, right? Where we're just making, we're just taking mental shortcuts, without taking the time to really mm. think through what do, what do all these things mean. Now, I, I know that doesn't well, address we could somebody... I specifically address your garbage, right? You know, but we have to. I mean, I, I would just say, you know, look, this is not garbage. This is a resource. And how how are we best going to use this resource, right? And if somebody's not, if somebody says we can't tie this to some business outcome, I, I mean, I just say bullshit. I'm sorry. Can I say that on your show? Yes. Of <laughs> I'm part sorry. Of the podcast. Yes. Okay. For, yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I just call
0: you know like that's. I don't I don't I don't know. I don't think we're going to get booted or anything. But like, yeah, no, we're, but, we're, 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 we're fine. But, it's tech, it's a, it's a technical term right. in the data world. We all know it. Yes.
2: Yeah. I, like that's your job,
1: right? If you're, if you're a data leader, if you're a CDO, CDAO, a CAO, a CAIO, <laughs> whatever, whatever the new E-I-E-I-O. It's the like a
0: childhood rhyme at a certain right. point about but a like farm. Your, and- your, your whole job
2: is to figure out how you use data and analytics to improve the business outcomes, right? Like. If you can't do that, like you shouldn't be there. I, I'm sorry. Like that's my perspective. Like do your job, man. Well, yeah, I think I I I, I agree.
0: I I am optimistic though that with some changes in mindset. And, and really, I, I, I just kind of distilled this down to this loosely defined notion of mindset. Mm-hmm. If you see everything as garbage, or if you see that garbage is overwhelming or uncontrollable, right. or that, that that is like it, it's like your kryptonite, right? right. Um, you're you're going to see it everywhere, even often where it doesn't even necessarily exist, right? right? If if that's kind of the the, the mindset. Um, people pick up on that, and p- mm-hmm. people see it, particularly on the other side of the table, particularly in peers. Because sure. if I'm the COO and I'm responsible for sales operations, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm responsible for mo- moving sales quotes through uh, all the way from the time it's a quote all the way through to the time revenue is recognized. If that's right. if that's what I'm responsible for, my my reason for being. My Mm -hmm. existence is the optimization of that process. Right. Hard stop. I have, I've never met, I've never met a business leader that wasn't, you know, that wasn't, that's operationally focused. That wasn't focused on having the most efficient operations possible. Yeah. And if you're a data leader that is basically saying they don't know what they're doing, they're making my life hard. They, they are, they, they don't care about data quality. Right. If that's what you're saying over and over and over again and your peers are hearing this, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of things that they're probably thinking about you that can't be repeated. But one of them most certainly is then you don't have any clue what I do for a living. Yeah. Because what I do for a living is optimize business processes. Right. It's my job to make the supplier onboarding process, process as fast right. and, and as efficient as possible. And w- within certain guidelines right within within time guidelines within budget time within risk guidelines within all those things so i love this idea of culture i love conversations about culture i i think we need absolutely positively need more of it i think we need more of it through your lens which is kind of looking more the way we think right right? and and i think we also needed kind of through some of the lens that i'm talking about which are kind of like mindset and leadership and you know modeling behaviors and put all these things together because i think I think those are all those... interrelated.
1: They all they're all interrelated, yeah. and they all play off each other, right? So, I mean, I, yeah. know, that's the big. You know, there's a lot of conversation now, right now, around you know growth mindset and like you know what does that really mean, right? And all that all that really means is an iterative process of getting better, right? The key word to a growth mindset is yet. The data's not clean yet. Yet. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But I'm going to do this to move it there. The data is still not perfect yet, but now I'm going to do this to get us closer, right? Yet, okay, as opposed to, well, it's all just garbage. And I mean, I mean, also, I, I'm sure that I'm sure that there are some people. So I, I'm going to take a little different viewpoint. I'm sure that there are some people data leaders that maybe like have that. You know, it's it's all
2: garbage, but. Um, but I, I think most of them. I don't think most of them are that way. Or,
0: or, or agreed. But that is a pervasive view. Like it is part of the lexicon.
1: And it, it's it is part time. of the
0: lexicon, and 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 so I'm focusing
1: on data leadership, right? And I think yeah. that there's a bunch of people underneath the data leaders that probably have that view, right? And that's part of the data leader's responsibility. Right. I I need to help them change the mindset of like, we're not here in business. We're not getting paid to make data good. We're getting paid to deliver good data. That's going to improve the business outcomes.
2: By design. Yeah. Right. By design. Right.
0: Like, well, and, and yeah, man we we can keep going i, I this, this is this is an area where i think we we need a lot of help and we need more fresh ideas more new ideas i think the more we can understand how people's minds work and how their brains work the better cuz we certainly need injections of new and fresh and different ideas cuz this is another thing that i think i think we are way too focused on kind of the past and i think there's a lot of aversion to change yeah. Um, when, when in our space, now we like new technologies, but when it comes to actually changing the way that we do things, I, I think that we've got a bit of an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. So it's messages like yours. I think that are important. And I think that help and any way that a data leader can help, um, make sure that people aren't triggered and have a fight or flight over change or over anything else that a data leader is doing, the better. That one was definitely my. Yeah. Problem. That one was your... A- yeah.
1: Or or when, yeah. when somebody is triggered, like don't try and have a rational conversation. Give them at least a half an hour to calm down.
0: I love it. Dan, we we could keep going for hours and hours and I know. hours. Yeah. Um, Thanks so much but, for having me on. Well, thank you. I would invite everybody who is listening, please follow Dan on LinkedIn. He puts out fantastic content every now and then. It's even a little entertaining. Um, so some of your lip syncs are epic. On, on LinkedIn. But I I, I like the deep fake stuff. That's kind of what I, what I toward, to, sure. toward tend to lean towards. And you put out a lot of that as well. So please, I would invite everybody to follow Dan Everett, the techno optimist on LinkedIn. He puts out great content. If you're not already a subscriber to this podcast, and you've made it this far in this episode, well, thank you. Please consider uh, subscribing and turning on your notifications for new episodes of the podcast. I'm Malcolm Hawker, head of Data Strategy with Prophecy, your host. Thank you so much for tuning in, Dan. Thank you. My pleasure. All right, everybody. We'll see you again in another two weeks in another installment of the CDO Matters podcast. Thanks, all.